This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello everyone, Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Man is the curator jazzed. The curator is beyond jazzed. It's like if jazzed were right here, the curator would be way, way over there. <laughs> so we've got our loop show coming up. We're very excited about this. It's going to be weird. I mean, there's a reason that it's called the freak show, mm-hmm. uh, because not just because it's for the freaks, but because it's it involves some very freak show e type things. That's true. It's freak show ish. There are things in it that uh, we, you know we we tell stories, mm-hmm. which is kind of what we do anyway but uh you're because there's a visual element for the looped show yeah. you're gonna see some pretty freaky stuff and the curator is going to be available to chat with you before the show yeah. so how rad is that well i know the curator and i can tell you it's pretty rad he's great yeah also he's got a really cute dog but that's not really the <laughs> point of it, I guess, yeah. of what we're talking about right now. The, the curator has a dog named Sally. I love Sally. Mm. Yeah. Um, so we're super jazzed and uh, the curator's jazzed. Everyone's jazzed. It basically is the point. The Loop Show, it's on the 17th. Well, it's this Saturday. This is the last podcast show really before the looped show wow that has snuck up yeah so if you don't have your tickets get them get them get them get them what am i going to wear i figured out what i'm gonna wear oh look at you yeah i'm I'm, just being a braggart i have i've I've gotten that far anyway well at least the pants part (laughs) get all the details at theboxofoddities.com and if you want to just go to the looped website uh looped uh, there you can see all the upcoming shows. They've got some really cool stuff. Yeah, Dan and um, Lindsay Cummins have a show coming up, too. That's true, too. Yeah. yeah, all kinds of stuff. So check it out. Yeah, yeah. Theboxofoddities.com. Get your tickets, um, and we will see you Saturday oh, night. I have something else to say about the Looped show. Sorry. What, what is that? All right. So someone had asked, how does this Looped thing work? Um, and there's a whole, like, how-to right on the Looped website. And when you sign up and get your ticket, they'll 
they'll send you like all the details. So it's not something you're going to be like, I don't know how to do this. Of course <laughs> you do. You're very smart. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anyway, that's it. That's the last thing I had to say about that. Okay, good. Now, can I can I talk about how great your eyebrows look? You may. They look great. Thank you. You got them done for the show? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's the yeah. first time in a year. <laughs> in a year. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about my Aunt Doris when she got her, she used to get her eyebrows done? No. A lot. I don't think so. And uh, pretty much used them up. She, she. I don't, I literally don't know what that means. Yeah, well, she was getting older and I, I think it had something to do with hair loss or something. I don't know. But, but and she used to get her eyebrows done all the time. Mm-hmm. And they just stopped growing in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, a lot of us, and I, when I say us, I mean us elder millennials, mm. uh, we suffer from that because you may remember during the 90s, non-existent eyebrows were a thing where it was just like this tiny little one one hair meets one hair meets <laughs> one hair. And it was just a string of singular brow hairs that made your eyebrow. It was very upsetting. Right. Um, but a lot of us suffer from uh, incapability of growing back eyebrows. I have to use a serum. It's a thing. My aunt actually went as far. Somebody talked her. I think it was her granddaughter or something. Talked her into um, getting tattoos. Mm-hmm. eyebrow tattoos but she's frugal and, oh, no. and didn't want to spend a lot of money on it so she went to yeah i don't know some cheapy cheap cheap yeah. tattoo place and they screwed him up and now she just looks horribly surprised all the time oh no you don't look that way at all thank you <laughs> thank you for clarifying yeah just want to point that out appreciate that well i should probably do a story huh yeah okay Last year, in 2020, Tina and Ben Gibson gave birth to a little girl named Molly. Okay, I guess probably Tina was the one that that Mm -hmm. gave birth. Is it wrong that my first reaction was, ew? (laughs) You've just (laughs) never had a desire to have children. And that's okay. That's cool. I'm just kidding. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I mean, it can be. It's also pretty gross. I mean, biologically. Okay, anyway, good okay, for Tina anyway, and Ben. So, so, Great so, job. Yeah. So, Great job getting it done. When, 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 uh, well, that, that's the thing is that uh, there was no shooting it in. No? Yeah. When, when Tina gave birth to Molly, she was only two years older than Molly. Okay, so Tina and Ben right. had a baby. Yes. And the baby. And I assume that Tina wasn't two. That's a good deduction. Okay. So. It wasn't a baby that Tina and Ben grew together, correct? No, no. Correct. Okay. okay. See, okay. I see so where you're, you're on, going. In the, you're on to You're something. trying to lure me in with this shock and awe thing. <laughs> Shocked and amazed. Yeah, so Tina was technically only two years older than Molly. Did she have a teratoma? No. What I'm describing is sort of the situation. Let me let me give you some details. Molly was born from an embryo that had been frozen 30 years, almost 30 years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. I see. And so technically speaking, Molly holds the record for the oldest frozen embryo to be thawed and then successfully gestated and birthed. Where did she come from? Do we know? Yes. Well, we sort of know. I mean, you know, they they knew where it was before they put it inside of her. Oh, good. They didn't just find it. No, they didn't. (laughs) 
I didn't just find it somewhere. Hey, this looks like a frozen embryo. I think I should put it in my uterus. It's not quite how it works. But this isn't the first decades-old frozen embryo to be uh, birthed as a healthy child. Okay. And not even the first decades-old one for Tina and Ben. Oh, wow. Here's their story. Tina and Ben were unable to have children. Ben had been diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, and there were some complications there. Um, So they looked into other alternatives. They even fostered multiple children. They looked into adoption. And then they heard about the services that the National Embryo Donation Center offered. I'd never heard of this before. The National Embryo Donation Center is a nonprofit organization located in Knoxville, Tennessee, and it stores frozen embryos that have been donated. Perhaps they had been frozen before, but then the families didn't use them. Okay. Okay. And so instead of just throwing them out... Mm -hmm. They donate them from their website. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I just as you're saying this, I'm realizing I need a refresher on how that whole process works. Like, okay, so so these were sperm spermed up eggs yes. that had been stored away. Yes. Presumably with the idea like, well, my husband's going to wear very tight pants or, so we're going to make sure that you know he's in the army and he's going to see war and they don't you know okay. i mean it could be for any any number of okay reasons. but the idea is i want his sperm and my egg and i want to be able to wait and see if i can use that and then they didn't use yeah. that and now ben and teener yeah teener yeah yeah have come along well <laughs> for, it come out like teener teener, teener because you're from maine <laughs> Here in Maine, it's so weird in Maine. It really is because there's a there are portions, not the entire state, but there are portions of Maine that pronounce A's as R's mm-hmm. and R's as A's. So it's like, hey, Teener, <laughs> let's go to the pack and have some pizza, Teener. <laughs> anyway, from the um, National Embryo Donation Center's website, it says, quote, Now, in its fifth decade, in vitro fertilization and other assisted reproduction technologies have been the answer to many families' baby prayers. However, this success has created a surplus of frozen human embryos. This surplus is estimated to be at roughly one million in the United States alone. Many biological parents store their frozen embryos for future use, Mm. but when those parents have completed their families, they must decide what to do with the remaining embryos. And donating them to another infertile couple is an increasingly popular option. It benefits both the genetic family and the recipient family. Mm. It's almost like buying the contents of an abandoned storage locker. Oh, I don't I don't think that's no, true. No, no. I think this is very interesting and in how people choose to build their families is not up to me. But so, a warehouse of possible babies? Yeah. Ah. There's like a million of them out ah, there. There's so many. Unused embryos. <laughs> Come on down to Embryo City. Get your gently used embryo now at a great discount. I hope that's not disrespectful. I mean, I'm sure your used embryo is just fine. Well, it certainly made a difference in Ben and Tiner's life. Um Way to go, Teener. And, and other couples like them who are unable to have biological children of their own, they're not able to adopt for whatever reason. These unused embryos 
um, are then surgically implanted into the adoptive parent's uterus. So after many years of trying and failing to have children on their own, they elected for this procedure. The embryo, which Molly came from, was uh, thawed out and implanted in Tina's uterus. So what that means is though, even though Tina did give birth to Molly, both she and Ben are technically not the biological parents, right. of course, since neither of them contributed biological material. Right. So Molly holds the record of being the oldest embryo ever to be gestated and birthed as a healthy baby. Technically, the embryo was 29 years old mm. before it was thawed out. But what makes this story even more fascinating is that um, this is not the first time that Ben and Tina have experienced this. Oh. Molly is their second child born through IVF. Um, her older sibling, Emma, who's three. Emma! Was born from a frozen embryo in 2017. And both Molly and Emma came from the same anonymous embryo donor. So what that means <gasps> they're is... They're siblings. Yes, they're the same batch. So that makes them biological siblings. <laughs> the same batch, like yeah. they're cupcakes. Like cookies. Yeah. At the time Emma was born, she held the record for being the oldest embryo successfully birthed. Uh, but now her little sister, Molly, holds it. Oh. Because... That embryo had been frozen for three years longer. Little sisters ruin everything. <laughs> when interviewed, Tina said uh, when she first found out about these frozen embryos and how long they've been in the freezer, she, she was um, skeptical of their viability. Okay. And to put this in perspective, Tina herself was born in 1990, which was just two years before the embryos. She's just a baby were put in the freezer. Wow. Both births were, were extremely successful both Emma and Molly. And that's a good indication that frozen embryos can be viable for much longer than what they thought initially. Oh, so do you think that like some sort of Siberian ice maiden embryos could be like jammed into your gut and, and shot out? Wait, okay, so you're suggesting that a frozen pregnant Bronze Age warrior? Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. I like, like I this mean, idea. If it was at the right point in her in her uterus catching of the wow spermy egg, I man, I this would, is technical. I would think that yeah, it, it, that that's possible. I mean, if she was frozen fast enough, right? The conditions would have to be right. <laughs> what, what about a woolen mammoth? <laughs> I think that would leave some serious stretch marks. Birthing a woolly mammoth, but. I also am very intrigued about that concept. <laughs> Carol Sommerfeld, who is the Donation Center's lab director and embryologist, said uh, this definitely reflects on the technology used all those years ago mm. and its ability to preserve the embryos for their uh, future use under an indefinite time frame. Um, a lot of this is possible because of recent advances in medical technology. But births from frozen embryos are still very complicated, and uh, they certainly don't guarantee success necessarily. The tricky part of the procedure is the thawing out process. Before the embryos can be implanted, obviously they, they need to be thawed out. That would be painful. But they have extremely mixed results with this. About 75% of frozen embryos survive the uh, thawing process. Wouldn't they thaw in your uterus? 
<laughs> sure. Huh. Maybe they, they aren't streamlining the process enough. Right. 75% of the frozen embryo, embryos survive and are able to be transferred. Mm -hmm. But out of that, only 25 to 30% of those embryos implanted through IVF are successful. So it's clearly possible to do this, but the odds are, are kind of long. Sure. And, and the fact that Ben and Tiener, um had two they're two for two. Wow. Is is pretty remarkable. Bonus ponies for Ben and Tina. Tina said in an interview with All Things uh, Interesting, quote, every single day my husband and I talk about it. Uh, we're always like, can you believe we have not one little girl, but two little girls? Can you believe that we're parents with multiple children? I'd be more like, can you believe that they thawed this thing out and I shot it out of my birth cannon? Three decades later. So delicate. Lab director Summerfelt said of Molly's birth that it's very rewarding for her to see an embryo that was frozen so many years ago result in the birth of a lovely baby. Uh, she said, I feel honored to be part of this process. So I think it's really cool that that this is an available option for parents who who want to do this. But it is, to me, just very weird to think that there are like a million frozen embryos out there. And when you go, do, you, do they just pick one at random? Or can you select? Do they even really know at this point who the original donors were? I think they must. They must have some records. Well, they said they knew that Emma and What's-Her-Face came from the same Same batch. Shoot. Yeah. Um, but do they, they must have all the medical records. I would I, imagine. I would think it's, it's not it's like. It's not like your record keeping where it's like, I don't know what happened three years ago. I have no <laughs> recollection or. I've got it written down somewhere. Yeah. Probably on a scrap of paper in the console of my truck <laughs> with 8,000 other scraps of paper in the console of my truck, <laughs> illegibly written. Um, and I have no frame of reference what any of it means. Good thing you have those scraps of paper, though. Yeah, I need it to live. <laughs> and now, that thing in the middle. Thing in the middle today, weird stuff that some people were buried with. I love this. Number five, Roald Dahl, the writer, was buried with chocolate, a bottle of burgundy, snooker cues, pencils, and a power saw. Why is it that both you and I were going to start with him? Because we have the same brain. <laughs> Number four, Bob Marley, the musician, was allegedly buried with his guitar and some weed. Number three, David Klein, who was a burger lover. His funeral procession stopped at his favorite food place, Burger King. Everyone got a hamburger for the road. Even David got one, and they placed it in his coffin before it was lowered into the ground. Oh, wow. That's enthusiasm. I am also a burger enthusiast, so I don't begrudge that in any way. Number two, William Wise, a Civil War Confederate major, was buried with his favorite horse, favorite hunting dog, and sword. He was convinced he was going to hell, and he wanted to track down and kill Satan. <laughs> I love it. Wow. And number one, John Jacobs, who was an attorney, was buried with his cell phone. His wife still pays the monthly bill, and the number is even etched on his gravestone for anyone who wants to leave him a voicemail. That's kind of nice. Yeah. It's like the upgraded version of the bell on a string. Yeah, it sure is. If you're at the gym right now, scream at the top of your lungs, I'm listening to the box of oddities. We'll pay you a dollar. Maybe. Someday. This is 
the box of oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi-connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, 
shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. All right, my love, tell me a story, weave me a tale. Qin Shi Huang was the founder of the Xin Dynasty and the first emperor of unified China. From 247 to 221 BCE, he was king of Xin. I wonder if his wife used to say that. What do you think you are? You, you think you're like King Xin or something. Now, keep in mind that most of the information about Chin, let's just call him Chin from now on. Chin, Chin it is. Most of the information about Chin's life derives from the successor, which is so often the way it is. Mm. And therefore, a lot of the history that we get about any well-known leaders tends to be skewed by those of, who of tell course, that history. Of course, okay, of course. so we're going to talk about his life a little bit, and maybe not everything's exactly accurate, but you don't know. <laughs> this is the best we can do with the information that we have. <laughs> That's right. Now, Chen did a lot to unify China. He made sure that they were all using the same type of measurements, which oh, is a big deal yeah. when you're trying to like work in trade amongst each other and so on and so forth. Um, unifying the scripts and currency, which I'm sure helps with all kinds of things. Anyway, but um, the last year of Chin's life were dominated by an ever-growing distrust of his entourage. And that's so often the case with leaders is mm -hmm. that as they get older, they get more and more paranoid and and more people try to kill them, and the more people that try to kill them, the more paranoid they get, and so on and so forth. And they go to cycle. great, great lengths to uh, to hold on to power. Exactly. Um, there were at least three assassination attempts that nearly succeeded. In 211 BCE, a large meteor is said to have fallen in the lower reaches of the Yellow River, and on it, an unknown person inscribed the words, The first emperor will die, and his land will be divided. And when the emperor heard of this, he sent an imperial secretary to investigate, and no one confessed to who did it, of course, and all the people <laughs> were like, oh, no, we, no. Don't, we don't know anything about that. I think that guy's guy, that, that, I think that guy over there did, did yeah. it. Um, <clears throat> wasn't me. Ignore these chisels. So he had them all put to death. All of them. All of them. Okay. Yeah. And then the stone was pulverized. Mm -hmm. So now mm -hmm. you're all dead and there's no more meteor and this never happened. Wow. Well, a year later, Chen dies. And the cause of his death is still largely unknown. Uh, reportedly, though, he had been so concerned with the idea of death and he had been so obsessed with the idea of finding an elixir to avoid death that he had a pharmacist on hand who was making him all kinds of batshit stuff <laughs> and was, again, feeding him mercury. Oh, mercury again. Over and over again, we hear this. It's not a good idea. Anyway, his alchemist and his court physicians believed that Mercury had some capabilities of creating immortality, which uh, 
Anyway, uh, that was possibly a contributing factor. Uh, yeah. But he, I mean, he wasn't doing great anyway because he was all stressed out all the time. So plus, stress plus mercury poisoning. <laughs> plus, you know. yeah, heavy metal contamination. That'll do it for sure. So his his people, like the people in his, I don't think it was called a court, but that's the best mm-hmm. term that I can think to use right now. They decided that they were going to hide the death of the emperor um, for a period while they figured shit out. And most of the imperial entourage that were accompanying the emperor uh, were left completely unaware that the emperor had died. Is this some weekend at Bernie shit? Well, a little bit, yeah. Because no they shit. weren't at his palace. They weren't at his home when he died. So they had to like travel back to oh. his residence with this dead emperor without letting people know. So they had allegedly a cart of fish before and after the wagon containing the emperor so that it would kind of like throw people off from the stench of his rotting corpse. Oh, my God. I don't know how that would work because I would get real suspicious of two carts of fish Uh, anyway. Yeah, right. Why do you need that? Right. And why aren't they together? Why are they always... Whatever, it's us. So eventually his death was announced. They needed his final resting situation arranged. So jump ahead. Would you with me? I'm I'm jumping ahead. We're going to jump ahead about 2,200 years. It's March 1974, and a group of people are digging a well in northwest China, and they unearthed fragments of a clay figure. And the site was soon identified as the burial place of Emperor Chen, and excavations began almost immediately. As they dug, they uncovered a gigantic funerary compound hewn out of a mountain and shaped in conformity with the symbolic patterns of the cosmos. The excavation of this complex is ongoing. It's what? Still? 20 miles, 20 square miles of land so far that they have dug up. The construction of the tomb was described by historian Sima Xian in 145 to 90 BCE in records of the Grand Historian, which was written about a century after the mausoleum's completion. And this is according to that. This project allegedly involved 700,000 workers. And it's said that there was no place in the world where 700,000 people lived Hmm. at that time. That um, this was over the course of those years working on the thing that they would just bring people in. Eventually, they'd die and they'd just bring more people in. It oh, was see. not a great situation. So it was forced labor. It These was people forced labor. were not doing it out of the joy of their heart. No. No, no, no. Mm. Now, the burial compound is composed of a series of pits. And uh, the pits have become part of a museum. The museum consists mainly of three vaults and an exhibition hall. Vault 1, Vault 2, Vault 3, very aptly named, (laughs) I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, well done. Um, And then the exhibition hall of the bronze chariots. So this is according to ChinaHighlights.com. The vaults are arrayed with directives on the art of war. So they faced east toward the ancient enemies of the Qin state. The point is that the things within this vault, the things within his burial chambers, 
plural, um, were meant to protect him after death. Pit one is the most impressive pit and really kind of shows you like what this whole shit's about. They found an entire army of life-size terracotta soldiers. Oh, the terracotta, the terracotta, terracotta army. Yes. yes. I've read a little bit about I didn't know this was the dude. Yes. Wow. So uh, there were the soldiers, horses. They're interred for more than 2,000 years. This army of soldiers, as I said, all facing the enemy states of the Qin dynasty. There were archers and chariots stationed in military formation in order to protect the emperor in the afterlife. Over the past 35 years, archaeologists have located some 600 pits, 8,000 unearthed soldiers constitute the terracotta army. 8,000? 8,000. I had no idea. I thought it was maybe 100. In January of 2020, they discovered 200 more. This is according to Artnet News. Although most of their hands are identical um, and only eight molds were used to shape their heads, distinctive surface features were added with clay after assembly. 8,000 individual faces because they're 8,000 individual members of this army. That's an amazing attention to detail. Incredible. During the excavation of the pits containing the terracotta warriors, archaeologists have found some 40,000 incredibly well-preserved bronze weapons, including battle axes, crossbows, arrowheads, and spears. Um, This is according to History.com. Even 40 years after its discovery, less than, prepare your pork taint, Less than 1% of Emperor Qin's tomb has been excavated. In 40 years. Initial fears of damaging the corpse and the artifacts within the tomb later gave way to concerns about potential safety hazards involved with the excavation. Not only is that something like really mind-boggling to consider that 8,000 terracotta soldiers is about one, they estimate 1% of this there's 99% more. That's only one. What? 8,000 is only 1%? Less than 1% of his tomb has been excavated. So okay. what's in that 99%? More soldiers? Possible. Okay, I didn't. That's more what chariots? I, more. We, I thought you were saying. They can't know for sure. Okay, I thought you were saying that they, they knew they were soldiers. Well, they don't. But okay, but it could be. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be unclear. They can't now. And here's why. According to an account by the first century BCE Chinese historian Sima Xian, mercury streams, once again the mercury, were inlaid in the floor of the burial chambers to simulate rivers running through the tomb. So they had rivers of mercury Mm. laid into his whole burial chambers. And as of 2005, a team led by Chinese archaeologists tested 4,000 samples from the burial mound and all came back Highly positive with mercury. Mm-hmm. So it is poisonous, mm-hmm. and they don't know if it's safe to to continue excavating. Um, but can you imagine what is in there and what will be discovered when eventually we can? Are they going to have to excavate wearing hazmat suits? or I think they're for now they're just holding off. They're wow. just not doing it. And I don't know about the degradation of mercury. I mean, obviously, it's been 2,200 years, and it's still not great. Mm. So everything's just on hold for now. Yep. Oh, that's disappointing. Yeah. But well, I don't want them to be, you know, 
poisoned by heavy metals. Well, that's nice of you. Yeah. Yeah. I care about people. <laughs> Although it'd be really cool to know. Of course yeah, it would. Yeah. Of course it would. One percent? I had no idea. And you 1%. said the complex is estimated to be 20 square miles, something like that? Yes. That's crazy. That's the terracotta army of Emperor Qin Shi Huang. I still have a dream to become an archaeologist. Yeah. Even though... I probably should have started working on it before now. Yeah. You know. And your disdain for manual labor. Well, that's true, too. I, I, I don't want to be a hands-on archaeologist. You don't want to be doing digging. No, I want other people to dig up cool shit and then give it to me. So you would just, like, walk around yeah. the excavation site, maybe wearing a scarf? Oh, a pith helmet. Oh, you'd wear a pith helmet. I would, in, in a scarf. In a scarf. Absolutely. Sure. And, and probably those khaki shorts. Oh, you'd go with shorts. And desert boots. I pictured like a billowy pleated pant. Oh, I like that better. Yeah? I like billowy And then a a nice lightweight linen white button-up. Ooh, ooh, you need to dress me when I become an archaeologist. I will dress you every day of your life. I love that. Well, you're dressing me for the uh, upcoming Looped show. No, you've done that entirely on your own. No, I picked it out, but you're going to dress me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep, probably. Yeah. Actually, I actually have a new wardrobe for this show. Yeah, do I? No. 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 Doesn't matter because everything you own is gray or black. Stop it. Anyway. That's not accurate. Well, it's pretty accurate. I have a mustard sweater. You've seen it. When was the last time you wore your mustard sweater? October. October. <laughs> well, it looks really nice on you. Thank you. Anyway, The Looped Show. It's this coming Saturday, the 17th. Get your tickets. You're running out of time. We are so excited to be doing this. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to do more in the future. I guess it depends on whether or not anybody watches. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to wait and see. Either way, it's going to be fun and we are excited about it. And again, you can get your tickets at theboxofoddities.com. There is a link that says Live Looped Show. We'll see you then. We look forward to it. And, uh, oh, we look forward to seeing you next time, too. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash BoxOfOdditiesPodcast On Twitter at BoxOfOddities And Instagram at BoxOfOdditiesPodcast Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well look no further and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as i delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight and of course women who have been misrepresented through all time on who did what now the history podcast that's not your history class listen wherever you get your podcasts if you like this podcast can we recommend another one It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people 
smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.